Hey everyone, just a quick disclaimer. Sadly, there are some audio issues between the volume of my microphone and the volume of Gab's. I moved my setup from my room to my kitchen and somehow I messed with the gain on my microphone. So sadly, I'm a lot quieter than Gab. I tried to fix it with my editing stuff, but it didn't seem to work too well. Hope you guys all enjoy. Sorry for the mix-up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 139 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HeroMTG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabe on the Sieve. Hey, Harry. Hey, everyone. Yep. So sadly, this week, Pat could not join us as he is busy with work commitments, as well as it is extremely hot in the UK right now. It's 40 degrees here. How, what, what's the temperature like in France, Gab? It's cool today, but it was 40 past couple of days to 40 Celsius past couple of days. And I know for some of the US people, it doesn't sound like so crazy, but there's just very little air conditioning in the in, in France and in Europe in general. So yeah, we're not, we're not used to it. Yeah, it's definitely bad in the UK. I am in my <laughs> kitchen right now and there are fans going, everything. So please forgive any audio problems in this uh, episode yeah. this week as we really tried to get out to you, but the heat <laughs> is killing us. Anyways. Any yeah, in, in infrastructure problem. I heard somewhere in England, maybe in London, they had to put tinfoil on a bridge so that it wouldn't start like cracking. And there was <laughs> stories of runways and airports just starting to melt. Literally, it's, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah, it, it's crazy. A lot of fires and st- it's 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 mad. But um, yeah, sorry. This week, talking about magic. Before we talk about magic, though. Thank you, everyone who's joined the podcast Discord. Shout out to all of you. I've seen so many conversations going about sideboarding tips, deck decisions, metagames, tournament results. Really appreciate you guys joining our Discord, chilling with us, chatting with us, and chatting with the community. Please do join our Discord channel if you're interested in that. It will be in the description of this episode or on our Twitter page. Um, As well as this podcast is brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know what Card Market is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything Magic the Gathering related. Can be deck boxes, sleeves, accessories, playmats, singles. You can sell on there, buy different card games, Pokemon, Digimon, Flesh and Blood, Yu-Gi-Oh. Please go check out Card Market. They sponsor the cast. They're amazing. But we are talking about Magic this week. As you've probably seen in the clickbait title to this episode, Gab made the top eight again. Two weeks in a row or is it three weeks in a row? I'm not too sure. I don't think three weeks in a row, but who knows? I don't <laughs> well, I don't keep track. <laughs> well, next week it'll be three weeks in a row, but this week it's only two with blue, red, murktide, and modern. So we'll obviously be breaking down the tournament, the deck decisions, the singles in the deck, etc. etc. As well as I've obviously played modern. I played a few janky decks. I've also played with some Juns, some Blue White. I brewed an Esper control deck that I think we're gonna talk about today. Um, and then obviously I have the Pioneer Showcase or Pioneer Mox Qualifier, 24 players on the 6th of August. So we will be doing a bit of Pioneer towards the end of, end of the episode, depending on how much time we have. Anyways, let's yeah. start with, sorry, yeah? No, I was going to say, definitely I've been playing a little Pioneer too, a little blue-white control. And yeah, there's a Modern Showcase and a Pioneer Showcase this upcoming weekend. And the Arena Qualifier too in Limited, so it's going to be a busy weekend for me anyways. Yeah. Oh, you have the qualifier points for Magic Online. Yeah, I have enough for two showcases. I'm also qualified for the limited thingy on Arena. So, yeah. Oh, sick. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, before we talk about tournaments you're going to play, let's talk about tournaments you have played. Blue Red Merktide, Top 8, break it down. Why'd you play the deck? 
Yeah, I wanted to play the deck on Saturday, and I, I was a little busy on Saturday morning, and actually, I don't really have a good excuse, but because of tournaments. So anyways, I, I, I started getting the cards from Mana Traders at the last second, and I panicked, and I couldn't register Murktide, which I wanted to play, and I couldn't figure out why. It wasn't popping up, and it's because my list still had 18 cards in the sideboard, so it doesn't show as a valid option. Huh. So I panicked and registered Song of Creation because it's one of the few decks I had the cards for and had build and was actually you know 60 plus 15, so I could legally register it. <laughs> and I was a little disappointed. I still went four and three. Okay. I felt like I ran pretty good. I think I could have maybe one or one one or two of the matches I played. Canister played the deck both, I think, Saturday and Sunday, but didn't do well. I think he went 3-4 or 4-3 on Saturday and, you know, not not very good on on Sunday. So clearly he believes in the deck. I feel like, you know, I still have the same impression from maybe last week where it's it's good, but I don't think it's consistent enough to be Tier 1. I think you end up having to mulligan into Oblivion too, too often. And some of the matchups are pretty tough, you know. I think Murktide's pretty decent matchup. Four Colors pretty decent matchup, but uh, Greg's Shadow stuff. I've gotten crushed by Titan decks. They have a fast clock and they have access to Boseju and even Force of Vigor. So, yeah, play that on Saturday. Sunday, I was ready. I registered Murktide. I made the changes we talked about last week, you know, about wanting to add more cheap cards and more cards that work well was Shredder. So what I did is I took the, the the Doom switch list that I've been playing that a lot of people have been playing with the free charms and the one dress down in the main. I cut two charms and the dress down, and I added one Dragon Ray Chandler, one Serum Visions, one Snapcaster Mage. And after playing, you know, was it eight, eight rounds, nine rounds? I thought the changes were fine. I don't feel like I got punished for these changes. And I think, yeah, there's kind of that right balance to find. The downside is that having the one dress down in the main means that you save a sideboard slot, kind of. So uh, what I ended up doing is I actually cut a dispute out of the sideboard to make room for, you know, the two dress downs in the sideboard. And the reasoning for cutting dispute, even though it's like a really strong card, I feel like the value of a replacement is pretty low because in the matchups where you bring it in, you end up cutting... Cards that are also decent, you know, like in the mirror, you'll bring in Dispute, but you'll cut Spell Pierce, or maybe you'll bring in Dispute and not bring in... Uh, I guess you don't want Fluster Storm because there's um, a Hearse that you want to counter. But anyways, you know, it, it's a really good card, but at the same time, if you like a card like Dressdown or Explosives or the Blood Moons are more important and more powerful, and the card you replace them with, you get way more value out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I so guess yeah. One question that I would have with this is: you have three engineered explosives in your sideboard and two dress down. Engineered, exp- I feel like dress down is a card specifically targeted for Urza Saga. So it's like you have five. Would you bring in all five cards, like three EE and two yeah. dress down against Urza Saga? Yeah, against Hammer Time. Hammer Time is a tough matchup. As actually, my two losses on on Sunday was to Crusher Bot BG who. Uh, props props to him. He came in second on Saturday and one on Sunday. So that's super impressive playing uh, Mono White Hammer Time, no blue. And he has Sword of Fire, Sword of Fire and Ice in the main deck. That card was really good against me. 
And yeah, every time matchup is tough. It's a small sample, but I guess I, I felt okay against the blue-eyed versions of Hammer Time. Uh, I've been doing okay against against these lists, but yeah, he he just he just crushed me. I'm not even sure I won a game. Um, so where was I going? But yeah, yeah, you need the help against Hammer Time. Still a tough matchup. It's a really tough matchup to play, and I think it's a tough matchup to play from both sides. You know, we've talked in the past how. Hammer Time's really hard to play, or I thought anyways, whenever I tried it, because you have all these one-drops. You know, the more one-mana spells you have, the the, the more decisions you're going to have, because you're going to have many decisions on turn one, then you're going to have many combinations of the decision on turn two and three, et cetera, et cetera. When to use Urza Saga, when to make the tokens, when not to. And what makes it tough for them actually probably makes it tough for, you know, when you're facing that deck, because it means you have to, like, Consider all these possible combinations, ramifications, and yeah, um, it's a it's it's fun, but it, it is tough. And I, I mess up a lot. But I think my opponents mess up a lot. Like, actually, found myself thinking, like, okay, they they got that with Stoneforge Mystic, meaning they must have that in hand, and then they end up not having you know the card I thought they had in hand, and you know it just turns out I think they messed up, and the fact that they messed up made me kind of you know you know play accordingly and also in hindsight messed up but uh so yeah i think it's tough from both sides and you know it's the same when you're playing four color i don't know i always feel like i go i go really long time against hammer time just because the games are so complicated and there's so many things that can happen yeah that makes a lot of sense i guess also you only play one archmage's charm in the main here I don't know if you have a lot of lot of experience against Hammer Time, but I found that to be really good against them. Did you feel like you missed Charm in the matchup? Maybe I still drew it a decent bit. I think I stole uh, stole an equipped creature here and there, but um, yeah, I think Charm can maybe go both ways. But I agree, it it, it is uh, it, it it's it can be the only card that saves you. And yeah, I I, knew, I mean Charm is you know also a little clunky, but obviously it's really strong. You know, same for Death Shadow. You don't have a great answer to Death Shadow, and sometimes seeing Death Shadow is a big deal. So, you know, maybe one charm is too low. Maybe maybe two two is good. I, I feel like three is a lot. Three is a lot. It's it's the decks. Every other card's so cheap, and that one's that one's not. Yeah, I guess the only other one of that. Oh no, I say two. There's actually two more one ofs that quite surprised me. No, three one ofs. I keep looking at this deck, and I keep seeing new one ofs. So, we got one Dragon Rage Channeler, one yeah. Snapcaster Page. And yeah. one Serum Visions, and obviously yeah. the one Archmage Charm that we talked about. So I guess many people want to hear the justifications behind these. Yeah, it was it was for uh, Ledger Shredder. You know, the reasoning was trying to make Ledger Shredder a bit better. Also, just Dragon Rage Channeler is just an amazing card. You know, you can't go too, too wrong. And while I don't think you want four, I think, you know, one or two is okay. I think maybe the problem with Channeler is that it gets worse after sideboard when people have more endurance people have sanctify Rainvec that really messes up Chandler and the you know the app side is maybe not quite worth it and then you find yourself in spots where you have a, a bunch of cards you want to board out maybe because the Chandlers are not so good but you don't have that many cards to bring in so maybe may that's a problem with playing too many Chandlers but you know one or two Serum Visions was fine for me um, you know people mentioned maybe Thoughtscour instead to play a fast Merktide but I really enjoy the card selection of certain visions in the mid game. And, you know, the Snapcaster, when I play against it in the mirror specifically, I thought it was pretty impressive. And that, that card, I think, was pretty good for me. I've been 
you know, killing a lot of people with lightning bolts, so having more access to lightning bolts. So, yeah, um, I, I, I thought my changes were fine. I don't think I, I think I, it, it worked out okay for me. But um, I don't think you can go too too wrong with the deck as long as you don't do anything too egregious. But yeah, the the, the shell's just so strong. I don't think that the details end up mattering that much. So it's hard to say, you know. Yeah. I think what's nice about Steamers is as well as you mentioned there, Sanctifier and Vec exiles the expressive iteration, but then Serum Visions is a sorcery that you can have that doesn't get exiled as well. So it's like, it actually, to me, makes a lot of sense to have access to some sort of uh, sorcery that's mm -hmm. a lot harder to remove, incidentally. Yeah, no, it seems marginal, but it does come up, you know, I, I do trim Murktide a lot against... Well, in almost every matchup, I feel I'm, I go down to two Murktide because everyone gets better against Murktide after Saturn. And it's actually funny. The one time I was like, uh, maybe maybe I'm just dumb. You know? Maybe Murktide's too good to, to be trimmed. I kept in all three Murktides and I drew two and I think that Sanctifier and Vec and I got stuck with my Murktides were just awful. I, I could never cast them. But So that's that kind of funny you know, in a super result-oriented way of looking at things. But, but yeah, Serum Visions adds up. I will say... And one thing maybe I didn't consider, I used to relax Serum Visions, but that was when we played four Chandlers before Shredder. So maybe Serum Visions goes down a tiny bit in, in, in value because of that. But yeah, that part's nice. The blue part's nice. The sorcery part is nice too. It's not always super trivial to uh, to get a Delirium in that deck. So an extra sorcery doesn't hurt either. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one thing for me that I don't truly understand, even with the experience I have with Murktide, is... The one Blood Moon, one Magus of the Moon. I have played this configuration many times because I just copy Doom, uh, Doom Switch. But to me, Magus of the Moon is a lot weaker, right? Because you want to bring Blood Moon in against four color and Solitude decks typically, and Magus gets Solitude and Infuriate. So I don't know. Do you do you specifically know why there's this split? Yeah, I believe the reason is that Magus is a bit better against Amulet Titan. Because they can't kill it with Bastejo or Forza Vigor. Okay. Blood Moon is better against four color. Obviously, you don't really want to bring in Magus against someone who has bolts on holy heats, etc. I mean you can, but probably not very good. And maybe I'm not too sure you'd have to ask Doom Switch, because you know that was that was his list originally. But the way I see it is that even against four color, Blood Moon is a good card, but it's also going to be bad a lot of the time. You do have Shredder to get rid of it. So you don't even necessarily want two Blood Moons. It's it's fine as a one-off. Uh, you know, you punish them here and there. Kind of same with Jace, but... So, yeah, maybe 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 John felt like... John Star felt like he didn't want to... Um, you know, he, he'd rather have the, the more resilient Moon against Titan and didn't even especially want a second Blood Moon against something like four color that makes a lot of sense for, for me personally i've found a ton of amulet titan like you continuously mention in leagues i don't know about the challenges but is that why you're playing subtleties because they cast the summoner's pact and then you just cheese them or yeah su subtleties for titan it's very good against titan it's serviceable against something like four color okay. tron uh, these matchups, I'm not super sold on on subtlety, but also I, I also have played against a lot of Titan decks. But pretty much always when I was playing Song of Creation lately, I didn't play against it with Merc Titan in the challenge. 
yes, subtlety. I think it's a fine card. I don't. I'm not you know blown away by it, but maybe maybe it's you know. I mean, it's 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 very really good against Titan and probably re- really good against Tron as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that was the list. My tournament itself, I did actually play against four color in round one, so I was like, oh, that sucks. But then their draws were bad, and even against their bad draws, I, I was still kind of close. I think they 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 made a pretty bad mistake at some point. Was ephemerating Solitude instead of Ice Fang. Anyways. Like even against like mediocre draws, I I could have almost lost, and then you know I beat a bunch more Grixis decks, um, beat Burn. That's always like pretty good matchup. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty smooth sailing. I ended up losing uh, in the quarters to. Oh yeah, yeah. Last week I lost to the quarters in in the mirror after being pretty tired. Yeah, back to back, and then this week I, I as I said I lost twice to Pressure Bot BG beat me. Uh, Beat me in the Swiss. Beat me. Yeah, I think I lost two games against the field and four games against him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, pretty sick accomplishment uh, to just go back to back second and first. And his list is, yeah, just more uh, more steel shaper. He's playing free steel shapers gift. One thing that I found really interesting is that he's not playing a single copy of blacksmith skill, neither in the main nor in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Because you would think, okay, you play blue-white, you have pierce and skill, and you're cutting the blue, so you don't have access to pierce. So you're like, okay, I'm still going to keep skill, right? If it's good enough for blue-white, it should be good enough for white. But you know, he's more like, uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, he's got a couple Paradise Mantle. He's got the, the one Sword of Fire and Ice in the main, the one Metal Sizz, the one Plating, just m- more equipment, and he's playing eight zero mana creatures. So... Pretty cool list. His sideboard is also interesting. Four Magistrate. That card's insane against Living End and against Cascade in general. He got me uh, He got me good with his sideboard. He got me with Unthin Ice on my Ledger Shredder. That was that was huge for him in one of the games. And then I don't know how many he brought in, but he got me with a Manith Ice. And uh, I even knew his, his list, that he had that card in his sideboard, and I didn't play around it because I didn't think... Because the first time we played, I didn't see it in either, in either of the sideboard games. Um, and then, yeah, he got me in, in one of the sideboards games with it. So I think that uh, I think I could have won. It was it was really tough games. I I I I don't think the matchup's awful or anything, but definitely definitely tough to navigate. Yeah, this is definitely a really interesting list. I would never have thought on thin ice in an Emmer time deck. But yeah, that's that's amazing. You guys should check it out if uh, you want to see the full list. But yeah, you know, yeah, I guess he he just plays a little more, you know. He doesn't mind playing a little more longer, grindy game, I guess. He has cards like March in the sideboard, March of the Otherworldly Light, Manifest. Yeah, I don't know. Um, not, not too, too sure. Yeah. Well, one thing that stands out for me in the top eight, though, is Enchantress in seventh place by Ikero. And yeah. I don't know if those listening remember, but weeks ago when I played in the Axion Paper event, this deck beat me in the top eight. Um, I don't know if it's the exact list, but they get access to Blood Moon, and they make so much mana, draw so many cards. I thought that the list that my opponent was playing at the top was like kind of like a janky, not brew, but like an okay deck. But I've been playing against it a ton on Magical Line. I think I've played against twice or three times in leagues in the past two weeks, which is not like it's not a lot, but seeing it in the top eight here, like 
I think this is kind of getting there as a deck in modern, especially with cards like On Thin Ice has been really annoying. They have access to Prismatic Ending. And every time I play this deck, I always think, okay, it's not that good. And then they play Solitary Confinement and I lose. So, uh, yeah, I I think that the power actually lies in Sterling Grove. Have you played much against this deck? It's like, oh, you can just Prismatic Ending the... Um, you just prismatic ending the solitary confinement, but if they have Sterling Grove, then you have to prismatic ending that first, and then you have to prismatic ending the solitary confinement. Hopefully, they don't have another one. So yeah, yeah, I haven't played against that deck recently, but I, I believe it is extremely good against Merktides. Yes, yes, I think. So. And I'm assuming it's maybe bad against stuff like Blue White Control. Maybe against four color, you know, between the removal, the force of vigors, the endings. You know, probably anyone who plays endings that, that helps in these matchups. So yeah, no, it's it's a it's a playable deck. It's a, a little more of a medical than some of the other decks where you're gonna have a lot of matchups that are close to 50-50. Yeah. I I personally wouldn't choose to play this deck. But I actually, I think it's an okay viable deck. I just thought I'd mention that because I keep seeing this list. Yeah. I feel like it's a, probably a reasonable choice for challenges where there's a ton of Merktide. I don't know if it does as well against Grixis as it does against Merktide because maybe Thoughtseize helps. You know, can they can pick you apart a bit, a bit more with Thoughtseize. Maybe their removal lines up better. I'm not too sure, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and the other challenge top eight... Wafo Tapa, fourth place with <laughs> it says Jeskai control, but let's be real, it's just blue white with fire ice and a crumble to dust in the sideboard with the red <laughs> triome. But what I think is interesting about this is Wafo's gone for four Shark Typhoon and a yeah. timeless dragon. Yeah. I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but I know I, I caught his stream here and there, and he's been talking about how, you know, maybe four shark four shark typhoons is the way to go. He was actually not streaming that that challenge. He was on vacation, but he still played the challenge. So, you know, maybe being able to focus a bit more uh, looks like it paid off. Because we've been kind of talking down on blue white control for weeks now. It's bad how even Wafu can't win with it. That's how mediocre it is. But th there he is, you know, doing doing well with uh, with blue white again. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely think that blue white is okay it's doing decent bits but i think a lot of the power lies in chalice of the void which he okay. has two copies of so i'm not sure <laughs> gotta talk to wafo tapa i guess yeah i mean you don't really see four copies anymore but you see yeah two copies three copies um i'm, I'm not too sure what to think about it honestly i haven't played blue white in so long yeah. maybe i should give it a try but yeah, that 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 stood out to me as well. Wafa doing well, lots of Merc Titan topics, and then Javier Dominguez, the champ, Tavai on on Magic Online, he made top eight. Was um, you know the deck Mengu has been claiming is one of the best decks in modern, if not the best deck. The deck you know it's his deck of choice. He's been doing well with it, and not surprised to see his good friend uh, Javier play the deck. It's the the plane bound accomplice version was was Vivian and one interesting thing I think that's fairly recent change I guess because I never noticed it before is that they only have one plane bound accomplice in the deck and they just tutor for it with call when they need to so maybe they have less awkward draws. 
And I guess you don't mind still paying the four Vivians on the hunt because it is a bit expensive, but it it's like you know, for six mana you get you get good good mileage out of it. It is just really powerful cards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not a ton ton else in modern, I guess. Not a ton of uh innovation. I think we mentioned it last week. I feel like it's been, you know few weeks now that we haven't seen anything really new pop up besides like slight variation on existing archetypes definitely and yeah maybe maybe it's kind of kind of the the rise of murktide i think there was some some twitter debate past few days where i, I missed it i didn't see it but i think it had about like is you know that four color control still the best or four color on still the best deck and something about anyways um but yeah, I guess people either don't have the cards or don't, you know, it's over the limit when you have a, a rental service or the, the mirrors, a lot of the four color mirrors are pretty grueling and not always very fun, I found. So maybe that's one of the reasons people don't play four color and it doesn't get necessarily the, the results it deserves. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really see four color online. I only, uh, like, I found it funny because I play against four color, maybe like, honestly, the same as Enchantress. I play like once every other league. Whereas when I went to the paper tournament, I've said this loads of times, but it was swamped with four color, just everywhere, four color. And it was funny because I've been releasing a load of Jund content on uh, my YouTube channel recently. And a lot of the comments are saying, oh, I play four color right now because it feels more like Jund, the way it plays, than uh, playing Jund and losing right now. So I'm wondering yeah. if all these, you know, Jund players, you know, they're like, okay, let's drop a, a few grand. Let's get our good Jund style deck and play four color on paper. So I, I can totally understand paper and online being completely varied here. And I, I definitely agree with you. I think that there's probably some sort of pricing problem that disrupts the distribution of four color. And the- yeah, it's not exactly a hot take. Yeah, you know, it isn't. <laughs> But um, yeah. So, what you wanted to move on some pioneer? Um, I thought you played a bunch of modern and tried some some cool brews and stuff. Oh, I'm literally yes. Sorry, the heat is getting to my head. We do want to talk about stuff that I've done, of course. Um, Did that, anything stand out? Uh, to be honest, to be honest, you mentioned that Wafo and you know gets to focus and actually gets to play. I played blue white control. Um. That went quite well. I've been, en- I have been enjoying Blue White Control. I, I, I don't play it that much because I'm trying to do like a load of different decks. But two things that stood out to me is that I thought Jund isn't as bad as people put it out to be, and Blue White is also not as bad as it put it, is put out to be. And that's because I played a Jund list with four Bloodbraid Elf, four Gris the Hunger Tide, four Tarmogoyf, four Ragavan, four Ren. That was the shell, and there was no Urza Saga. And the whole premise of the deck was you either want a Ragavan. It, it was just a really nice plan. It was like you have Ragavan and Grist as your degenerate powerful spells. And Liliana the Veil is not the best right now because edicting can typically be ruined by a lot of like crappy stuff in the format. As well as Grist destroys planeswalkers. As well as... Um, the tokens are extremely relevant. They are really good threats. Like, Grist 
single-handedly helped me beat four color control as jund which i think jund has historically struggled ever since oko uro was printed jund could never really beat these uh three slash four color control decks whereas grist made it feel very winnable have you played much against grist in the format i've played mostly against grist when playing against yagmoth i my feeling is that grist is a little underpowered unless it's really good in your deck you're really abusing every synergy and that's why that's why it's so good in yagmoth because you can you can tutor for it you can sack your undying creatures and i would feel like it wouldn't be that great in a chun deck it'd be a little mopey so i i think that the deck the the card is not like revive the archetype i'm not like the deck obviously isn't like higher than the cap is probably tier two right now with what jund has options available don't even know if it's tier two but it's like i found like you could sack extra copies of ragavan to grist you could uh mill yourself for tarmogoyf was relevant crocs mill yourself for crocs uh if you mill multiple grists i mean that synergy on its own the minus five was also i found quite relevant because if you go turn one Ragavan, turn two Tarmogoyf, it can actually get quite big depending on what you cast after that. Um, of course, it's not perfect. I just found that it it, it, it it felt a lot better than Liliana the Veil because I feel like right now Liliana the Veil honestly hurts yourself more than the opponent in most cases because of how many two-for-ones there are in Magic. Like Jund can lose to one card a lot more than it could in the past. So I think it's more like trying to find a good replacement that makes Bloodbraid Elf a good castable threat. And I think that Bloodbraid Elf's bad against Teferi Time Wrap. I think it's the minus two that makes Grist good. And it's it's like you go Grist plus next turn minus and then Bloodbraid Elf. That was quite a common line. And then, you know, Bloodbraid Elf can attack more commonly. I think Bloodbraid Elf wasn't a great attacker for a while as well. I think like all these little things makes it okay. I'm not trying to say it's like amazing. I do agree yeah. with what you're saying. But I think to me, what I think makes sense is it's better than Lily Vale. Um, yeah. And overall, anything unique with the deck? I don't quite remember. But what I do remember is that Bloodbraid Elf felt a lot better than it has in the past. And I beat multiple Teferi Time Ravelers. Um... Nothing, nothing. Oh, Collector Oof. I played Collector Oof in the sideboard. That was pretty nice. Beat Tron with that. Yeah. Mm, seemed okay. It was bad synergy with Ragavan treasures, though. It seems kind of niche, though. But yeah, that was just Jund. Jund does Jund things. It's okay. It's it's not great. I also played, though, with two janky decks, because I've been trying to diversify between competitive and janky. Played with... um glimpse of tomorrow i've been mentioning this on the podcast for a while but i think that the deck is struggling now i because of how much cascade hate there is but then it wasn't struggling because i was like oh there's all this cascade hate and then i realized wait my opponent is spending all this time on hating on my cascade i'll cast my omnath i'll cast my fury so you just turn into this bad four color deck but then people have mulliganed or like kept a really weak hand because they have the chalice of the void or the blood moon 
You can actually yeah. cheese them out. But this list was actually unique because it played four Fable of the Breaker. I, I don't remember the four. Mirror Breaker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that card was really strong because you make treasures from the Goblin Token, you loot, as well as if you hit it from a Glimpse, you get two permanents. Same thing as if you cast it, two permanents, technically three if you attack. Helps you cast things. It helped me beat a Blood Moon. So... And it pitches to Fury, so I thought that was yeah. a pretty nice innovation, or maybe just a nice list that I found. Yeah, I believe that when Xenoan made his comeback was that deck, he had four Fable, and I when I played the deck, it had, it had four Fable, and it looks janky, but I think the power level of that deck is pretty high. I think it's probably close to tier one deck. I remember the one thing that kind of put me off the deck last time around was the mirror matches were oh. really awful. Yeah. And that you know it was when the deck was popular, but I don't think I would mind playing that deck, you know, right now if I know I'm probably not gonna play any mirror matches because I, I do believe it's strong. Yeah. I I, I actually played a mirror. That was quite funny. But what, what was funny is both games two and three, I won because game two, I top decked double fury in a row. So I went Fury your board, cast Fable, next turn talk back Fury, so then I went Fury plus Violent Outburst to win game two. And then game three, my opponent messed up because they got a turn they had a turn three or turn four glimpse. They glimpsed into Fury Fury Omnath. And then they glimpsed again and hit all lands. I was like, what are they doing? So that was interesting. Sounds like they kind of got unlucky. I'm not sure they messed up, but yeah, sometimes it felt like I think in the mirror it almost felt like glimpsing second was better because the first glimpse is not big enough to go off, and then if you're the second to glimpse, you kind of get to fury some of their stuff. I don't even remember, but the matchups were yeah, they were kind of interesting in the sequencing, but the fact that it took so much time made it miserable. It was. You know, kind of a mix of having to rush, but also, having, anyways, and the games could take forever. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that the downside to this deck is that games are either extremely long or extremely short, and the mirror. But I, I thought the deck was quite fun. I also played with Calibrated Blast. This was kind of just for like a deck tech video that I was doing, like, oh, Modern Horizons Two created this deck that you didn't know about or something, and. That deck, do not play that deck. I promise me yeah. you will genuinely have a heart attack from how much pain that you feel playing this deck. I've ne it's I did the maths and it's like a 20% chance for the blast to whiff. So I was just like, F this deck. It's okay. It's okay if you want to try and have fun. But people people in my comments were saying, like, oh, I have to play this deck because it's actually okay budget, which is like what you know, seems seems yeah. seems reasonable. But yeah, that deck is definitely uh, <laughs> definitely a piece of art, I would say. But yeah, please yeah. do not play it. Please do not. Play it. No, yeah, I was I was kind of impressed when I played against that deck that it actually like was better than I thought it would be. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's it's gonna have consistent enough. And kind of once you know what's going on, it's yeah, oh oh, easier to to fight back. Well, one thing that I will say, though, about the deck is I realized why it sucks is because you essentially don't have a sideboard. And it's because Calibrated Blast flips into a non-land card, so you can't play things like Force of Vigor and, like, actual sideboard cards. You have to play crappy lands. So, I yeah, I, I said in my summary, I was like, oh, if Wizards continue to print effects like Channel, for example, 
if they put channel on a 15 mana spell or whatever <laughs> imagine if they printed a 20 mana channel spell potentially yeah. calibrated blast becomes nuts because you just play a lot of non-countable the the besager who shelters all they just cast calibrated blast right so <laughs> you know this deck could easily go from dog to absolute tier zero right so it all it's all down to watsy what they want to do with the expensive spells but yeah yeah um but no i think that was me for modern this week i personally have been loving the format i, I love talking about the format right now as well rather than uh, rather than playing just because i think i think it's more that i'm addicted to editing youtube videos right now and if i play modern it's like two hours of playing whereas if i talk about modern it's like 20 minutes of talking three four hours of editing which i found way more fun i think i'm just becoming like this like youtube addict and i'm like drifting away from twitch which i don't really like i want to stay on twitch it's just like i'm focusing heavily on i think building building a brand right now yeah, no, it's great. I mean, that's what happens when you get obsessed with something and <laughs> yeah. you can make a living off it and you enjoy it. It's all these things that intersect and you go, you know, you go, you go all in and you just, you know, no, no, that sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I guess going into Pioneer, I, <laughs> um, I've been testing. Again, every week I say this, I'm not really going to specifically say what I've tested because I do know people in this 24-player tournament are listening. So <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi. But um, yeah, I really, I Cherry and I have settled on a deck. We have a deck we're going to be testing. I'm going to Spain on the 25th. I'm going to be playing loads of that on my laptop in Spain. No big deal. Um but there were two very interesting Pioneer Challenge top eights this week that we want to talk about. The first one specifically was won by Harry13. He, he was a guest on the podcast recently with uh, Blue White Control and Pioneer. If you want to hear a breakdown, go check, listen to that episode. But yeah, Blue White Control won the um, Sunday Challenge by Harry13. And the rest of this top eight is stacked. You got Levanka, who is the Le Matias Leverado. Is that his name? Yeah, Arena. Yeah, he won one of the Arena Championships. I think yeah. he, he qualified for Worlds one year, maybe. Really good player. Yeah, and what's interesting is that he was playing Rakdos mid-range, and he lost against Blue-White Control, because what I've heard is that Rakdos mid-range can turn, like, is really favored against Blue-White Control because of the, the pace of which both decks work at. So that's very interesting. I guess also Harry 13 is also just a master. But you pointed out a very interesting deck list in third place, Absent Greasefang, if you want to talk about that one. Yeah, uh, kind of the standout list of the weekend. JMM, uh, Jan Moritz Merkel, uh, great player, obviously. And he's playing Absent Greasefang, was kind of cool looking deck list, all four ofs and 20 lands. And. Yeah, he's just playing Greasefang, Rafine's Informant, which is the, the two one that um what's the name of the ability? Connives, four Saturn Wayfinder, four supplier. That's the 16 creatures. Um, four copies of Con Stay Away in the main deck, four Thoughtsies, four Witterbloom command command, which is a card I found really cool, but kind of hard to to fit in decks. Four Grizzly Salvage, four Chariot, and four Parhelion. So he's got kind of the the, Par the Parhelion plan going on, and he's got the the plan B or plan A or whatever you want to call it was Chariot, you know, just kind of 
you know, one drop into a two one into a four free into a chariot was Nazis back up. Can can you know? So yeah, just really really smart um, deck building. I'm not sure if it's um, always that's been around or maybe that he's tuned. I'm not too sure, but yeah, that was kind of the standout list of the the weekend for me. And then he has access to push, decay, the rest in the sideboard. Pretty nice, you know, pretty nice cards. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I personally really, really like Witherbloom Command. This is a card that I forgot about. I briefly played it in Modern when we went to Germany together in that uh, green-black Saga deck in Modern. But this yeah. card makes so much sense to me in Pioneer because a lot of decks are playing crappy but cheap permanent, sorry, non-creature permanence in the format. Portable Hole. Um, you've got the Wolf of uh-huh. Haven, you've got Oath of Nyssa, you've got things like Blood Tokens and Clue Tokens, all relevant things you want to destroy. Mm-hmm. I think that Witherbloom Command has a lot of, u- like, that makes it more than than a one-for-one, because you, like, kill your thing and kill an incidentally useful permanent on the board. So that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> As well as what I like about this deck is the th- problem that I had with Greasefang is that there was Esper Greasefang about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and every time I would play against it, Greasefang would have the same problem where you play the Greasefang, get back the Perhelion, attack, and then you have to hope to untap. Whereas when you're playing a load of janky creatures like uh, Raffine's Informant, Citrus Supplier, Satyr Wayfinder, you 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 chip down the opponent, and your attack is way more relevant than it would from the Esper list. Um, maybe no Ledger Shredder is slightly annoying because you want the flying attacker, but I think that this deck is way more fast-paced, and I like the look of it. I I'm interested in trying this. I feel like Pioneer, I keep seeing new innovations that I'd like to try. <laughs> because Cherry and I can't brew every single deck that's possible. We might just be brewing with green. Who knows? But, um, you know, I like that list. Speaking of green, though, in sixth place in this challenge top eight, we have, it says four color ramp. That's kind of <laughs> It's mono green, but it has one Nicobolus Dragon God in it. And you might be thinking that is literally insane. But don't forget, you got four Oath of Nyssa. But not only that, you have four Storm the Festival, which can put the Nicobolus into play. Now, again, you only have eight eight copies of these like why do you want the nicobolas and i th- i looked at this and cherry actually sent it to me the the morning it was released and we were kind of like confused and we instantly realized this is clearly technology for blue eye control and rakdos because i said last week on the podcast or the week before oh we're just gonna play green and tune it for rakdos blue white this is the tuning that you need you got a planeswalker that can destroy a creature or a planeswalker so it could destroy Kalitas, it can just destroy Chandra Torture Defiance, it can um, destroy Teferi Hero of Dominaria, it can destroy Wandering Emperor, there's so many things it can destroy. It can steal activations, so for example, Kiora Untap, you can untap a Nykthos with it, you can activate uh, it with, with a Karn Minus. I think that this card is very relevant, I think that it's worth it. Because although you have, okay, four Oath, four Storms, you don't really have four Storms, do you? You have 
um, eight storms, as well as, don't forget, you play, um, oh my gosh, you play the Pustilent Cauldron Retroactive Burst. Retroactive Burst. So if you mill the Nicobolas with Cavalier, you can return it and then cast it if you have the Oath. So I think it's kind of narrow-minded to say, oh, only four Oath, four Storm, because it's more like you got way more options to get it into play. So I personally like it. I could talk about Mono Green all day, but is this something that you kind of agree with? Or are you just like letting the Mono Green player speak his stuff? Yeah, no, it seems fine. I think the, the ratio of four Oath to casting one five mana card is reasonable. It's kind of the Ref Levy tech. He was the first or one of the first to to do well. I think he won a GP was uh, six mana Chandra in his deck that he could only cast a four Oath of Nyssa. Hmm. And um, yes, I guess it's tried and true. No, I, I like it. I think it's reasonable deck building as well. So I, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely think that this is an awesome innovation. And the the one thing that I do want to say about green, though, that I haven't really talked about is the chain veil in the sideboard. It's the four mana legendary artifact. And if you pay four mana, you can activate planeswalkers twice per turn. Um for for that turn and i've tried the chain veil and it's like so close if it's playable or not Pe people have asked me what i think of it i think it's very fine close because the problem is is that we're already not really winning with the combo the combo is one card in the sideboard for when you have two cards two kioras so I don't really want to make my combo two cards because not only is the Pestilent Cauldron a combo card, it's five mana uh, return two cards. So it's not even like guaranteed combo every time you fetch it. So I think every card in the sideboard matters for green. I don't know, but personally right now, I'm not playing with it. And I keep seeing people play it. And I think it's more of like people copying because as well as when I play green, I don't win with the combo. So I don't use it. Even when I try to, like, obviously I'm thinking, can I use the chain bill here? Nope. So, difficult one to assess. I personally don't like it. Clearly here, Telco likes it in their sideboard with their nice innovation. So, it's up to you, really. I think a lot of green stuff, people ask me about one-ofs. It's up to you. What's your metagame? Um, anything else that I liked? Eighth place, you got Niv to Light by Claudio. Yeah. Kind of like the 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 waffle of Pioneer, except instead of playing blue eyed, it's Niv. He makes it work. Yep. Uh, um, yeah. There's also two two players who top aided both challenges, so that's that's pretty cool. Willie Edel was a red black um, sacrifice deck, kind of low to the ground. Was a Cat Oven, Mayhem Devil, Unlucky Witness, and three copies of a Mixilis. And I saw that list and I was like, oh man, as a blue-eyed control player in Pioneer, I would really not like to face the card of Nixilis. Uh, that seems really good. But then I looked who he lost in the quarters and he just got to it by Harry 13. So I wonder if the games didn't go well, if maybe it's a case of just Nixilis being really good, but the rest of his deck being like way too mopey, you know, four claims, free push in the main, tons of dead cards. So, you know, maybe he just didn't draw Nixilis. Or maybe he had too many too many mediocre cards in the matchup to, and a mix list could not make up for it. Um, but yeah, shout out to him. 
And then kind of segueing into talking about blue-white control, I actually started playing blue-white control in Pioneer this week. And on Saturday, you had three copies of blue-white control in the top eight, but it was all Yorion lists. And um, on Sunday, Harry, uh, you know, kind of, how do you say, carried the torch for the, the 60-card version, and, and one was a 60-card version. Really close to, you know, what he, what he did well uh, weeks ago when we had it on the podcast. And he, he he made a few adjustments. I think he kind of, you know, I, I picked up his list, his Pioneer list inspired me for my Explorer deck. And then I made some changes. And I think in turn, some of the changes I made, he uh, he picked up, you know, he's playing one copy of Behold the Multiverse. Um, he's playing a two Deluge, one Behold split. He's playing all four copies of Sensor and no more Jari's Disruption. So yeah, kind of cool to see, and uh, I really like his list. My my sixty card list right now is is really close to his, and you know it makes sense because you know I started with his list, so and his list didn't change a ton. So yeah, re- really like the 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 numbers there. You know the the couple of shark typhoons, one farewell free verdict. He's playing all absorbs, no side coming. Um, I've been playing a split. I- I'm not too sure, you know, wh- which one's better. The absorb is definitely relevant in the format, so that's kind of close one when you're playing free field of rune. You don't only have the mana on turn three, but um, yeah. So yeah, I, I like his list, um, and I've been you know I've been playing the deck, and people have been asking me you know the most common question is Yurion or no Yurion, and if you look at Saturday results, it looks like maybe Yurion's just the way to go. But then I think the Yurion version is just way more popular in general right now. Um, you know, I've played both. And so far, I don't mind. I felt like both were okay. In the one league I played was the Yurion version. Yurion came up big in only one of the matches. But, you know, that's still not that bad. Um if you're playing blue white and you don't and you, you're okay not playing cards like Dream Caller or Brazen Bar, you can play Kahira. Kind of might give away your archetype, but I think the value's there. I think in against Red Black, maybe there's some games where um having the extra card might be nice. But um yeah, I guess jury is still out as far as I'm concerned, between Yurion or not. Uh as well as the the Yurion version for I'm not sure if there's a, a logic, but they Gracias por tanto, anyways, playing free jars, disruption, no sensor. Definitely not a fan of that split, even though I did keep track. And jars, disruption was mostly worse for me in the league I played, except for one game where it was it was much better than sensor. Um, you know, you've got that weird sequence with jars, disruption, where if you don't need it on turn one as a land, you keep it. And if you don't get to use it, it's really hard to find a spot to play a come into play a tap, tap land because on turn three you have absorb or maybe shark typhoon. On turn four you need four mana for wandering emperor or deluge. On turn five you want five mana for Teferi. On turn six sometimes you need six mana for Teferi plus untap uh, have three mana up. So really really hard to 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 play that land that you know you almost never want to kind of. I mean, you can't afford to do it, but it's always gonna gonna screw you over, you know. Whereas there's some other decks, maybe where imagine if your deck has all two mana and four mana cards, and you had very few three mana cards, and you're like, okay, if I don't get to play it on turn two, then I can play it on turn three. It's not a big deal. Or you know, if you're playing Fable of the Mirror Breaker in your deck, then you can discard it. You know, I was really impressed by that card in in Standard recently. So 
Um, but you know, besides that, the both decks mostly play the same card. Uh, so yeah, but both seem both seem pretty good. Glacias Portanto has an angel sideboard in in you know an angel sideboard plan with two Bane Slayer, one Lyra, and two copies of Sarnheim Unleashed. I'm not exactly sure who's that great against because even the Phoenix player leaving a bunch of unholy heats in there or I don't know, like it's a lightning axe in their deck a lot of times. So I had some questions about the sideboard. I'm not too sure. I don't know if you have an idea why he has all these angels and uh, the foretell cards. My only guess is that you have a lot of decks outside of the Rakdos and green strategy that just attack you with creatures. And I assume that playing big angels against something like Boros Aggro or Mono Blue Spirits after you've worked through their counter spells is particularly good. Like, I feel like against Mono Blue Spirits, if you resolve a Teferi Hero of Dominaria, you don't really win the game. Whereas if you resolve a Baneslayer Angel, you probably can't lose unless they have the, the tap. Or yeah, it, it does dodge some of their counters, but they still have hard counters for it this have brazen boar um deck like deck like humans have sometimes they have giant killers sometimes they can just leave in brutal cathar to just hedge a bit even though it's not the greatest card so yeah i'm not super sold on that angel's plan maybe, but yeah you it's good against um rakdos because like i was saying rakdos is almost an instant loss from what i've been hearing maybe this creature plan is way better against rakdos yeah, maybe it just dodges everything Ragdos does after sideboard, even though the the one list that won last week had couple invoke despairs in the main. Um so that card kind of owns you if you're trying to cheese them with, you know, tap out big permanents, big creatures, etc. Uh, the Ragdos matchup you've talked about it. I don't think it's that bad for blue white. I do agree it's extremely close. And a lot of the games you win with blue white are gonna involve just having to get a little quote-unquote lucky at some point, but it's just classic, you know, Thoughtseize deck, discard deck, where you strip your hand, and then if you have a good draw step or two, then you get out of it and you win. Mm. So I haven't found the matchup to be bad, but I do agree it's extremely close. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But yeah, I guess if you look at red-black... They're not super great at killing a 5-toughness, five 5-mana five creature. Chandra doesn't kill it. It's bigger than all other creatures. Cut Ribbons doesn't kill it. I guess they have Dreadbore. Um, Dreadbore yeah. and not that much else. Invoke Despair, Dreadbore. I mean, they have Epic Downfall, but I don't think they're going to bring that in against Blue White. So, yeah, maybe 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 it's decent there. Maybe I guess a Foretell Angel card, actually, that sounds really good against Red Black, right? It kind of dodges removal mm. and then it gives you a, a ton of value in the late game even though i mean f- two four fours for five mana it's 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 okay it's it's definitely okay not not bag breaking so yeah not not too sure though if that's that's the main purpose yeah okay overall though i think that for me i think a lot of the power lies in blue white specifically in the early game plays like i think that portable hole like in pioneer it's similar to modern everyone's trying to lower their curve and everyone lowering their curve just makes portable hole way better yeah and uh you you mentioned kind of 
um, you know, oh, I'm surprised that Harry 13 beat Rakdos Sack. And I think that my only opinion on that is I would guess that um, the mono green versus Rakdos Sack is the exact same, uh, in my opinion, where you just want to remove the oven and you don't care what they do. I'm wondering if blue-white controls the same. If you have portable hole for the witch's oven, I wonder if you don't really mind about the rest of their plan. Obnixilis is new. I haven't really played against that, so I'm not entirely sure about that. But I'm wondering if that's why it's very winnable from the blue-white side of just portable hole your witch's oven. I've got verdicts. I've got um, removal spells. What do you think? I think it's probably different. I think green probably doesn't care as much about Obnixilis. Whereas I feel like if you're playing blue item mix, it's probably the only card that's really scary. So, yeah, but I, I agree. Actually, my first league I, I played it was blue white. I was trying to be oh greedy, I guess, and I was only playing three portable holes and two verdicts. <laughs> and my two losses were to mono blue spirits and a humans deck. Oy. And I right away, I for the next league, I went back up to four portable hole and. I think I maybe still had only two verdicts in the main, but that's because I'm playing. I'm trying out a four wandering emperor, which is not always common in sixty cards. See if if that maybe feels better than just a third verdict. Because I feel like a lot of decks, especially after sideboard, are a bit better at playing around sweeper. So being able to punish them more was emperor kind of makes sense. Also, emperor is just such a powerful and busted card. You know, it kind of makes sense to just max out on it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but but yeah, I uh, I like blue light control. Apparently, I think Simon Nielsen uh, data mined a bit of the challenge results, and blue light control had the the top or second second best win rate was sixty two percent. Obviously, small sample, but yeah, not not a bad deck. Uh, you know, I've been in, enjoying. I, I was kind of a pioneer hater for a while, or I wasn't really sure if I would like the format and. I've definitely been enjoying playing blue-eyed control, and the games have been mostly uh, mostly fun. Nice, yeah, I, I I've been enjoying the format as well. I think it's more enjoyable for me because we're just kind of trying to find the best deck, like secret best yeah. deck for a small meta. I don't know how I would enjoy it if I I wasn't motivated to play it, but yeah, overall yeah, I've been having fun. Yeah, I had a question. If you know, looking at the humans list, look that. They all rely right now pretty heavily on Pyre of Heroes. And that card did get me pretty good in, in one of my games, but I was wondering if you had just general opinion about humans and Pyre of Heroes or not really. Um, let me remind myself of what that card does. Pyre of Heroes. Kind of like a birthing pods. I have never seen this before. Sacrifice a creature. So it's two mana artifact you can pay two tap it sacrifice a creature search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with that sacrificed creature and that's convert a mana cost equal to one plus it oh interesting oh and they like sack blood soaked champions and stuff yeah that version has unlucky witness blood soaked champion they're kind of i guess four color but i've also seen it just straight out of like abzan or um, it's pretty cool was Extraction Specialist. And just pretty cool was a lot of their cards in, in general. Oh, see, I have played against Extraction Specialist, and I wonder <laughs> if they've never drawn the Pyre of Heroes against me. Because I, I do play against humans. I do play against humans from time to time. 
But yeah. I think that the power level in humans right now specifically lies a lot in Reflector Mage because they used to play the PVDDR card. Yeah. Uh, what What's that called? I forgot. The three oh, it's Spellbinder. They usually have it in the sideboard though now, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the, the transition to Reflector Mage has really helped humans. And the fact that they're moving away from Collected Company, I think is also a good decision. I feel like that card is significantly underpowered compared to modern humans so i i haven't played against it no true opinions but i think that they're edging towards something more competitive yeah cool 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 um yeah that was kind of my my week playing pioneer and what stood out to me out of the the challenges awesome yeah that that's me as well if you want to wrap up i'm down yeah all right Awesome. Life on the line at the end of every episode. For those who don't know what it is, theoretical tournament tomorrow. You win, you live. If you lose, you die. Going to bring a deck list from every format that we talked about today. So modern and pioneer. In modern, I think it's quite easy for me. I'm going to be playing four color living end. That deck has been beating me up all week and I don't want to die. In pioneer, I'm going to play and then editor should beep that out because I'm not going to say if my life's on the line. If my life was only half on the line with Pioneer. No, I'll just say that I will play... I'll play Harry 13's Blue Eye List because <laughs> if I'm going to play a deck that isn't my deck, that was what I would go with. Cool, cool. I got a couple, I guess, fairly easy choices for me this week. Modern, I play Blue Red Murktide. Really close to the list I top-aided Chandois and... In Pioneer, I play Blue-Eyed Control, uh, you know, really close to the list I've been playing right now, really close to Harry 13's list. Mm, awesome. Okay. And before the end of every episode, we've got to play The Price is Right. So what is a good card? To ch do you want to do Pyre of Heroes? Sure. Because it'll be, it may be pennies, but how many pennies? <laughs> so it's a rare from a standard set. Okay, that isn't that isn't a good start. Okay, I've got a price in mind. Um okay, me too. Okay, three, two, one. One eighty. Oh wow. I almost I over doubled your price. I think it might have some value because of commander. Let's wait, did I spell it wrong? Pyre of Hero. Oh, I missed the E on the end. <laughs> Pyre of Heroes, the 30-day average price is 95 euro cents on cardmarket.com. <laughs> I'll take the dub. There there are so many French people selling the top five wait, one, two, three, four, five, the top six people selling this card on card market are all in France near mint for 25 euro cents. So go ahead, okay. you can pick up a place if you want. Yeah, it might be, might be uh, worth gambling on. Speculation. <laughs> awesome. Where can we find you on the internet, Gav? Yeah, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. Not going to lie, I'm not the most active in the Discord, whether it's my own Discord or the midweek metagame. But if you ever have questions, honestly, best place to, to ask me about anything Magic related is during my streams. I stream pretty much every day. So yeah, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. Awesome. You can find me, Harry MTG, on YouTube, grinding, trying to do like a video every other day ish right now. Just trying to focus on high quality content. So if you want high quality content, modern content, YouTube, Harry MTG. Um, but yeah, if you made it this far into the episode, hope you guys all enjoyed. Please don't forget Pat. We'll try to get him on next week as normal. 
and uh, we'll catch you guys next time yeah thank you so much for listening everyone take care have a great week and we'll see you next time